the Bible and the Bishop. Hello, my name is Farron Glenfield. I'm the Church of Ireland Bishop of Kilmore, Elfin and Arda. And I've been reading the Bible since my teenage years, a half century ago. Since then, I've studied the Bible as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a student at the university and as a Christian pastor. I believe the Bible is God's word written. So in this series of the Bible and the Bishop, I would like us to consider the book of Psalms, which is found in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament. Psalm 42 is a lament expressing longing and loss and has been popularised by two hymns, one from the 17th and the other from the 20th century. You probably know them. The former being as pants the heart for cooling streams and the latter as the deer pants for water so my soul longs for you. Before looking at the text of this psalm and exploring its meaning, we need to say a few preliminary things. If you find Psalm 42 in the Bible, you will notice that above it is the title in block capitals, Book 2. What does this refer to? When all the Psalms in the Psalter were collected, they were arranged by editors into five blocks or books, probably mirroring the five books arrangement of the Law of Moses, the Torah. The books we call Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, which begin the Old Testament. Book 2 opens with Psalm 42 and extends to Psalm 72. The poems, the Psalms in Book 2, come from a number of sources. Look at the heading of Psalm 42 above the text which gives us the source, the sons of Korah. Who were they? They were a hereditary family of priests who served at the time of Moses and had musical and doorkeeping responsibilities in the portable sanctuary, the tabernacle, the time of Moses, which in time gave way to the temple during the reign of Solomon, King David's successor in the 10th century BC. Psalms 42 to 49 are attributed to this priestly family of musicians and doorkeepers, the sons of Korah. The heading, you'll notice, also refers to the choir master, and it's described as a mascot. Now, we've come across this heading to the choir master before. It is likely a reference to someone in charge of music in the sanctuary. And 55 psalms share this heading. The term mascot is a title given to 13 psalms, and is thought to mean a psalm of understanding, but we cannot be sure of the exact meaning of this term. A question we have to ask about Psalm 42 is this. Is it a stand-alone psalm, or is it part of a slightly longer poem, which includes Psalm 43? The scholarly consensus is that Psalms 42 and 43 belong together. In some of the oldest Hebrew manuscripts, they are one psalm, not two. And again, if you look, Psalm 43 is the only psalm in the Book 2 collection which does not have a heading, which hints that it belongs actually to Psalm 42. But it is the structure or form of the psalm 
which would seem to verify that we're dealing with one, not two separate poems in Psalms 42 and 43. Look at the text and observe how it is arranged. It consists of three stanzas, that is, a set of four or more lines in a poem, like a group of sentences, a paragraph in prose writing. And these stanzas are divided by a refrain, a group of lines repeated at intervals like a chorus in a song. And so in Psalm 42, in verses 1 to 4, we have the first stanza with the refrain in verse 5. Then in verses 6 to 7, we have the second stanza, followed by a similar refrain to the first in verse 11. Then the third stanza, which spills over into Psalm 43, verses 1 to 4, with a final repeated refrain or chorus in verse 5 of Psalm 43. This structure is a deliberate poetic device which we need to regard as we seek to understand what the psalm is saying. But let's first read Psalms 42 and 43 together. I'm reading from the Revised Standard Version. Please listen or follow the text in your own Bible. Psalm 42. As a heart longs for flowing streams, so longs my soul for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember. As I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of thy cataracts. All thy waves and thy billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against ungodly people. From deceitful and unjust men, deliver me. For thou art the God in whom I take refuge. Why hast thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? O send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to thy holy hill and to thy dwelling. 
Then I will go to the altar of God. God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise thee with the lyre. God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my help and my God. I describe Psalms 42 and 43 as a lament of longing and loss. A lament is an expression of grief, of mourning. In this psalm, the writer bemoans exile. He is cut off, abandoned, unable to attend the sanctuary in Jerusalem. Why? We're not sure. It may have been a period of illness or a disability, or he may not have been able to travel to Jerusalem because of some difficulty. Whatever the reason, the psalmist is filled with longing and loss. There is a lot of soul searching in this psalm. He repeatedly asks questions like, why, where, when? At times the psalmist is in dialogue with himself and with God. It's an intensely personal poem written in the first person singular. Let's follow the flow of the psalm and the way in which the author has arranged it by looking at the three stanzas and then considering the repeated refrain or chorus which divides the three stanzas before coming to some conclusions at the close. First, verses one to four, which make up the first stanza, which I'm going to call thirst. Here we have an image of a female deer, a heart in a dry riverbed, what's called in the Middle East a wadi, which opens the psalm in the first stanza. As the heart longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. The deer thirsts for water in a parched land. And this serves as a picture of a soul longing for God. It's a striking image. There is deep need and despair in these lines. Drinking and thirst are common metaphors in the Bible for human spirituality and human spiritual need, a need for God himself. The psalm, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Notice the psalmist's thirst is for the living God. Living is a commonly used adjective in the Old Testament, and here it's used in conjunction with God. Elohim in the Hebrew. God in the Bible, the God of the Bible, alone has life, alone gives life, alone is distinct from the lifeless gods of human imagination. In verse 2 of the first stanza, we have the first of the soul-searching questions. When shall I appear before God? For faithful Jews, the sanctuary, the portable tabernacle or tent of meeting, and the more permanent temple, was the place where heaven and earth met, where God was present, his dwelling place, and where God's people were at home, so to speak. So being away from the sanctuary 
Being away from God's house was being away from home. Being denied access to the sanctuary, the sanctuary had got to this priestly writer. He was in a spiritual desert, a dry land, thirsting for God. Some of us can understand that. In our own lives and life's experience, we've been there, dry, barren, arid. Once God has found us, nothing else, no one else, will ever satisfy our soul's longing like this psalmist. Tears of grief in verse 3 have become the psalmist's food day and night. While some detractors magnify his anguish by asking, where is your God? In verse 4, painful memories well up inside the psalmist. These memories pour out and water his dry life as he remembers better, gladder days when he joined with other pilgrims on their way up to the sanctuary, celebrating the great festivals of their faith. Faithful memory becomes an antidote to sorrow. These things I remember. So in this first stanza, the psalmist is in a gloomy, dry and thirsty land, thirsty, longing for God. The psalmist's situation was unique to him. But we too can find ourselves disconnected from God. It happens so easily. Home responsibilities, work pressures, illness, whatever, deprive us of intimacy with God. And our souls become dry. Nothing satisfies our thirst. Secondly, verses 6 to 10 make up the second stanza, which I want to call turbulence. In contrast to the first stanza's arid dryness, here we have cascades of running water. In verse 6, we are taken to the headwaters of the River Jordan on the southern slopes of Mount Hermon. In northern Israel. Imagine the mountain streams that plunge over the Keynes Mountain in counties Leitrim and Sligo if you've ever been there. The noise of the tumbling water is deafening and awesome. Deep calling to deep. Verse 7. The psalmist finds himself at the base of a waterfall. Roaring water breaks over his head. He's like a cork bobbing out of control in the icy cold waters, breathless and fighting for life. What a dramatic picture. Drowning in the depths. Yet, as Derek Kidner suggests, the psalmist's trust in God keeps bobbing up to the surface. In the depths, he remembers. In verse 8, by day, God commands his constant love. By night, his song is with me. No longer the daily food of tears of day and night in verse 3, but a song, a prayer to the God of my life. In verse 9, the psalmist speaks to God directly. He pours out his soul to God, his rock, 
his stronghold. Why have you forgotten me? Why am I always in grief, mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? Whose taunts in verse 11 are like deadly wounds in my body. Where his adversaries ask, where is your God? The turbulence of the waters, the taunts of his enemies, again, get to the psalmist. Why? You can almost feel the tension in these lines. The psalmist is being tossed about and pulled apart, but God remains his rock, a stronghold, a foothold in the flood. Turbulence. Like the psalmist, we too can at times be overwhelmed by life's circumstances. We go through turbulent times, like these times of lockdown and COVID at the moment. We need a foothold, a stronghold. Who or what can we hold on to? The third and final stanza spills over into verses 1 to 4 of Psalm 43. I want to call these lines trial. From the headwaters of the Jordan and the sarcasm of his enemies, we enter a courtroom scene. As the psalmist pleads in verse 1 from the dock, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause. The plaintiff appeals to a judge. It is a personal plea to his God, for the psalmist is up against ungodly, deceitful and unjust people. From whom he pleads to God, his judge, to be delivered. The word in Hebrew is yasha, the root of which is salvation, which we will come back to shortly. In verse 2, Of Psalm 43, God is described as a refuge, a place of shelter for the beleaguered psalmist. And yet the dispirited psalmist asks more soul-searching questions. Why have you forgotten me, O God? Why am I living in this state of mourning? Which gives way to request in verse 3. Send out your light and your truth that they may lead me. Light and truth. These are qualities and realities that come from God. In both the Old and the New Testaments, the scriptures affirm that God is truth and God is light. Into the gloom of his situation, up against the lies of people, the psalmist seeks God's light and truth to bring him through. And where does that light and truth lead the psalmist? In verse 3, to the very presence of God to the sanctuary God's dwelling place on the holy hill Jerusalem to God's dwelling on earth with light and truth leading him the psalmist will appear at the altar of God at the centre of the sanctuary in Jerusalem stood the altar where sin was atoned for before Christ and his cross. That place where Jesus was sacrificed for the sins of the whole world. Interestingly, 
The writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament draws the comparison and contrast between the altar and the cross of Jesus Christ. Which reads in Hebrews chapter 13. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat for the bodies of animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest, the sacrifice for sin, are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him, to Jesus outside the camp, and bear the reproach he endured. For we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. And through him, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The prospect of being connected to God in the sanctuary fills the psalmist with exceeding joy and gladness of praise. In verse 4 we read, then I will go to the altar of God, to the God of my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with music, with the lyre, O God, my God. When we look at the three stanzas as a whole, which I've described as thirst, turbulence and trial, we see a progression from dryness of spirit to joy and praise. Do you notice that? And what's intriguing is this, that the psalmist's circumstances have not changed. He's still marooned up in the north of Israel, unable to worship God in the place of meeting the sanctuary, the temple at Jerusalem. He still faces the bitter sarcasm of his enemies. His inner emotions, like a roller coaster, are all over the place. However, his circumstances have not changed, but his attitude has changed. The accusations of the psalmist accusers are dismissed by God. And he is set free to praise the God of his salvation. The present gives way to a future prospect for the psalmist. The now becomes the not yet. Self-pity gives way to hope, despair to confidence, depths to heights. And these stanzas. And the constant refrain in verses 5, 11 and then verse 5 of Psalm 43 summarise the psalmist's condition. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. This refrain or chorus challenges the psalmist inner being, not to surrender to his feelings of isolation, of abandonment, of rejection, of grief, of thirst, of being overwhelmed by circumstances and with people who dispirit him and bring him down. But instead, to hope. Hope is in God. Hope is salvation. 
And the Hebrew word in the first refrain of verse 5 is Yeshua, from which we get Jesus, which means Saviour. The psalmist, the salvation in God's face, the light of his countenance, that lovely phrase. As someone has said, when the sun rises, we cannot be without light. When God turns his face towards us, we cannot be without salvation. And in Jesus, we see the human face of God. For the psalmist and for ourselves, faith in God is paramount. We cannot rely on our own feelings, which rise and fall like the psalmist's thirst and turbulence and trials and questions, people and circumstances. They squeeze us dry and our souls are cast down. We are dispirited. Faith is not something that we self-generate. It is a gift of God's grace, God's love in action. And we rest our confidence on God, whose constant love is our help and our strength. The author of Psalm 42 and 43, one of the sons of Korah, who was a musician, whose lyrics have gone into posterity in these psalms, remind me of another musician. Do you know the story of George Frederick Handel? At 18, Handel was the harpsichordist in the Kaiser's Opera House in Hamburg in Germany. By 21, he was a keyboard virtuoso and a celebrated composer appointed to the royal family in England. And yet, despite this, he faced terrible adversity. There was fierce rivalry by the English composers in the land of his adoption. Then there were the fickle audiences who often failed to turn up for his performances. Several times he was on the verge of bankruptcy. Finally, he suffered a stroke. He temporarily lost the use of four fingers on his right hand. Can you imagine that? At 56, he was deeply discouraged, dispirited, depressed. And something incredible happened. That same year, a friend of his gave him a libretto based on the life of Jesus. These lyrics stirred and moved his inner being. He began to write. For the next 25 days, he wrote almost non-stop. In less than a month, George Frederick Handel, the man who thought life was over, created and gave us his masterpiece, the Messiah. And in that wonderful work, the Messiah, Handel uses in a beautiful area words of Jesus recorded in Matthew's Gospel, which I will close this consideration of this beautiful psalm, Psalm 42 and 43. Jesus says, Come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to the Savior.